I'm B. And I'm Shy. And we're the Pretty Dead. We're gonna get real down and depressing today. Oh. Yeah. This depressing whole case. <laughs> this whole case <laughs> is a trigger warning, pretty much. Like it has to do with child death. Um, lots of things. It's it's just a fucking mess. So we're gonna talk about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders today. Okay, I've heard of this one before. I haven't yeah, like list- I haven't listened to it before. It's but- intense. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. So um we're gonna take it just a bit back to nineteen seventy seven. We're going way back. We are, and we're gonna go a little ways, just you know, skipping across the country to Oklahoma. So so we're gonna be talking about a location it's called Camp Scott. It was founded in 1918 and was on about 410 acres of pretty densely wooded land. Um it's located in like the northeastern side of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So this camp was also located 2 miles from Locust Grove, Oklahoma and about 50 miles from Tulsa. So it's like in a pretty good area, I suppose. Um now at this camp the campers were assigned by age groups to the various camp areas. Like they have different, different sections of the camps where the tents were at and they were all named after native American tribes. Right. Um, The camp area that we're going to be focusing on today is called camp Kiowa. The Kiowa camp was for the younger girls and was set up in kind of like a horseshoe shape. Um, There were eight tents there, seven tents that were for the campers and the eighth tent was for the counselors so i'm just gonna pause for a second when you go to like a summer camp the counselors are usually in the tents or cabin with you they do not put little children in tents in a densely wooded area by themselves themselves. (laughs) and exactly and let the counselors have their own tent like yeah okay whatever right so these tents like aren't even tents they're they're wooden platforms with like a canvas sheet over them if you google like right now go google a picture of it because they are sketchy i would never stay in one i would never let my kids stay in one like maybe if i made it and it actually looked decent but these straight up look like something out of a horror movie so these tents are about 12 by 14 feet and like that's pretty big i guess um, they had room for like three or four cots each, so they tried to stick to only three or four girls in those tents, and that'll come up later. Um, now, tent number seven was the farthest tent from the counselor's tent, which, why they didn't make the counselor sleep in the middle? What the know. fuck? Exactly. Um, but this tent was also the closest to the bathrooms, and because of how the tents were set up... Um, you couldn't really see the tent that was next to you because of the dense coverage from the woods. So the fact that they were the farthest from the counselor's tent and all this dense wooded area, I mean, the counselors literally could not see these girls at all. Like, they probably couldn't even see the girls next to them. That shouldn't even be allowed. No, it shouldn't have been. And and I also, I looked up these tents. Ratchet-ass tents. Right? Aren't they fucked, man? Oh my man? god. Yeah. This is like I mean these are like torn up sheets basically. Yeah, exactly. They're literally torn up sheets. What and, the fuck? Yeah. Like I would never let my kids sleep in one. And maybe it's different because it's in the seventies, but I feel like Right. I feel like that's just not all right. <laughs> it's not all right, but probably like the parents and like the people who you, you know like the, everybody sending their kids to this probably didn't know that right. that's what it was because there wasn't as much you know media coverage as like there is today where you can just like oh you know like uh what is it travelocity or whatever you know yeah like, just, you know check and see what the place looks like give a you know five-star rating whatever you right. can't, you can't do that true. it's very true so um around the time of the camp scott like getting all these girl scouts coming in before they all came there there was a lot of strange things happening around camp scott there was an effigy which i didn't know what that was 
Um, it was It's a roughly made model of a particular person that's made to be destroyed out of an expression of anger. Mm-hmm. So weird. I um, knew that this... from, a, from an old Seether song. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Taking a throwback. <laughs> See, I think I knew that because of the Blair Witch pro- the Blair Witch project movie or whatever it was but then i don't know for sure but anyway so the effigy was in the form of a man and it was found hanging from a tree by its neck with its genitals showing (gasps) yes how it made genitals on this doll i don't know and i don't i don't want to know um there were personal things disappearing from the tents there was a note in april that said we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one Yes. Are so you keep, me? No, in this this camp, it, it was considered a prank, and they never gave it to the police. What? Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. fucking blows my mind. Right, it, like, even if it is a prank, okay. What? How would you not take that? You know, seriously. How could right, you not? Exactly. Exactly. And they still had girls sleeping in tent one. Now, the tent we're focusing on is tent seven, which was the one farthest away from the counselor's tent, you know, but and they're saying the three girls in tent one. Well, they they didn't say anything. And this was in April. The murders happened in June. So there's not much time between. So, yeah. So now we're going to we're going to get into that that night so around 6 p.m on june 13th 1977 there was a huge storm that hit the area it was just like torrential downpour and because of the weather the campers were sent back to their tents because you know you really can't do anything when it's pouring rain out right this is creepy at around 1 30 a.m there was moaning heard near camp kiowa moaning like ooh. So Carla, which was one of the camp counselors, she checked out the noise and described it as a low guttural moaning that would stop whenever the beam of her flashlight came near it. What the fuck? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Carla was standing at the intersection of the trail, which was like 150 yards from tent eight, which is actually technically tent seven. So that's how far away those these precious little angels are from their counselors 150 yards oh my god (laughs) yeah in a dirt road leading to the main camp um intersection like that's the intersection they were at was the yeah if that makes sense of how i just said it right Um, yeah so then basically they were were just like too far from anybody you know exactly yeah that could you know watch out for them and guard them and protect them Exactly. So around 2 a.m., the tent flap of tent six was opened. Three of the girls sleeping inside. The fourth girl said that she noticed a beam of light moving around the inside of the tent from outside and the silhouette of a large figure behind it. Creepy. The figure moved off toward tent seven. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there was moaning sounds heard throughout the night. Not just by, like, one of it, like, certain people in the Kiowa section, but in four other sections of the camp, there was these weird moaning sounds going on. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, uh Uh-uh. Yeah. I'm sorry. If I heard that, I would be like, fuck this. I'd be like, girls, get in the van. We're leaving. Wait. Okay, so you said, like, four other sections heard heard that moaning? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so what would that mean? I mean, like, what? I'm sure you'll probably cover this at like the times that this happened, but wouldn't that possibly mean like more people, like more people that were there to commit the crime? Yeah, like more people involved. Yeah, I feel. I don't know. I feel like it's either two people, or I feel like it's one person just moving around finding the best tent. Right. Yeah, and like so I, I said, don't really also know. kind of like depend on the times. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, see, and now this, okay, so that was happening 
at like 1.30 that they were hearing all this moaning. And at 2 a.m., right. the tent flap opened up to tent 6. Okay. So then around 3 a.m., a girl that was in the Cherokee section across the woods heard a scream come from the direction of Kiowa. The Cherokee section was about two city blocks away from Camp Kiowa. So not not crazy far, but so like if it's not like crazy far, the sections aren't crazy far away from each other. So like if someone was in the middle ish area between the sections, I could see where they would hear those guttural moans. Right. But yeah. So at 3 a.m., the girl in the Cherokee section heard a scream come from Kiowa Um. Then a girl in Quapa, which I looked up how to say this. I don't know if I said that right, so I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, she also heard a scream. The scream seemed to be cries of mama, mama, the girl thought. And they're pretty sure that was the voice of Lori Farmer. Yeah. Oh, no. Yes. Lori Farmer is one of the victims. We will get into them because I want them to have like their own little little bit of time because yeah so this was thought to be the voice of Lori Farmer around 11 30 p.m of that night one of the counselors that were assigned to Camp Kiowa went to quiet down a few of the tents because the girls were being like super loud and rambunctious however this check did not include tent six where they opened the flap at 2 a.m or tent seven where our three victims are at just oh tent seven God. that's where the victims are at so all the mistakes already made. Yeah. Yeah. It just the gets fuck? worse from here. So don't hold any hope for this camp because it just gets worse. So the same counselor got up again a little after midnight because the girls from tent one had all gone to the bathroom and were being super loud in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then the counselor ended up bringing them back to their tent and told them to settle down. She didn't hear any other noises after that. And this is the same counselor that got up on her way to tent four and she passed tent six and seven and didn't notice anything unusual. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 6 a.m. June 16th, 16th, June 13th, 1977, Carla Wilhite, the camp counselor that we had talked about earlier, had been walking to the showers when she saw sleeping bags in a fork along the path. She thought that it was some luggage that hadn't arrived the previous day. She started walking towards the bags to collect them. Any guesses on what the bags contained? Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, no, I don't want to guess about that. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about our victims. And they are literally three of probably the most intelligent and beautiful babes ever. Like, they're so precious. That breaks my fucking heart. Yeah. So Lori Lee Farmer was eight and she was the youngest of five siblings. She was the daughter of Dr. Charles Charles Farmer. He had been the emergency room director at Tulsa's St. John's Medical Center in 1977. So the same year that his daughter got murdered, he was the medical director. Oh my which God. Was, yeah. Um, So Lori couldn't decide if she wanted to attend the Girl Scout camp at Camp Scott or the camp that was sponsored by the local YMCA. Um, And this is, this is awful. Her mother decided for her. Oh no, that poor mom. Yeah. So her mom decided for her when, what week, what dates. Wait, how was the mom reacting to it? Was she like, you know, like, you're going to this like was she being you know like kind of bitchy about it? i mean either way like no her mom I mean, was she was being mean about it you know no her mom was trying to make it easier and like she wanted her to get like the experience and everything okay yeah no that's that's fucking heartbreaking because like you know she's she's like blaming herself for that right exactly um Lori was the youngest girl scout that was at the camp during the week of june 13th Mm-hmm. And she was super excited to meet new friends. Oh. Yeah. So. <sighs> so, and we, I also have their letters that they were writing home because that night when they, if you remember, it was storming super bad. So they went back to their tents while they were writing letters to send home. 
So the letter that Lori was writing says, Dear Mom and Dad and Misty and Joe and Chad and Kathy, we're just getting ready to go to bed. It's 745. We're at the beginning of a storm and having a lot of fun. I've met two new friends, Michelle Gousset and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them. It started raining on the way back from dinner. We're sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. With love, Lori. Like, what I don't understand is, like, why don't they have anything for these, you know, sweet little kids to do? Right, like, why don't they have, like, a big common room where they can go and play board games? Yeah, like, or, you know, like, have, like, a group activity thing, you know, like, just, like, regular group activities, like, fun things that you do for kids, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, like you said, like, crafts and, you know, just little, you know, like, tossing hoops or whatever, you know, like, just shit like that that you do outside. Yeah, exactly. Her mom said as she, as Denise was, like, getting prepared to leave and pack and stuff like that, she was getting worried about... Quote, she was getting worried about going. In fact, she had decided that she really didn't want to go. She wasn't sure that she would like it, but I convinced her that she should go and try it, that it would help her be more independent, and if she didn't like it at all, all she had to do was call, and we would come and get her. She just wanted what was best, you know, just to, like, tough it out, you know? It'll it'll be okay, like, you know, just stick in there, like... Right, and that's there's another parent that convinced their kid to go, and I'm not saying it's their fault at all. I'm just saying that's awful. Like, and I know that these parents would definitely change their minds if they knew what was going to happen. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, like heartbreaking that they have to live with that the rest of their lives. You know? Yeah, it's like nobody could have predicted that that ever. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that note that was there, but obviously these parents didn't know about that. Like nobody knew about that. Right. It was kept under and probably just thrown away in the trash or something. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, these, these parents had no idea, like, that was about to happen. And right. That they were just trying to, you know, encourage their kids to have fun, you know. Exactly. Now, Denise's letter is going to shatter your soul. So, to hold tight. Dear Mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day it rained, I have three new friends named Glenda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay at camp for two weeks. I want to come home and see Cassie and everybody. Your loving child, Denise Milner. So she she, was, so she didn't want to be there. She wanted to go home. Yeah, no, like she, she probably would have went home the next day. If you know, like if this, if none of this, these events would have taken place, she, her mom probably would have went and got her the very next day. Right, yeah. That's fucking tragic. Yeah. Our third and last victim is Michelle Heather Gousset. Michelle had attended Camp Scott the year before, and she was super excited to be spending a week in the wilderness with her with her fellow Girl Scouts. Her mom, Georgianne, quote, she was very excited and she came down the stairs and she sat on my lap and told me that she was going to miss me. She wanted to make sure that I was going to take care of her plants. African violets were her specialty and she wanted to make sure I was going to water them and take care of them. Oh, End how quote. sweet. Isn't that so cute? Yeah. Um, Michelle's father, Richard, he said that he felt like his daughter knew she wasn't coming home from camp. That's, that's that parental intuition. Yeah. He said, quote, it was like, hold on, um, I'm probably going to say this wrong. Sorry. Um, quote, it was like premonition. Premonition? Mm-hmm. She hugged us goodbye. It was like she was saying goodbye and that she was never going to see us again. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. It literally just like. I would have been like, no, no, you're staying home. I don't care. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I and she had even like, been, she had even went to the camp before. Yeah. So she knew. Yeah. I that like that just leaves me with no words at all. Oh just my God. So Michelle's last letter was to her aunt Karen, which I think is really cute. Um, it says, "Aunt, Ka- dear Aunt Karen, how are you? I am fine. I am writing from camp." 
we can't go outside because it is storming. Me and my tent mates are in the last tent in our unit. My tent mates are Denise Milner and Lori Farmer. My room is in shades of purple. Love, Michelle. See, like, nobody was having a good time. Exactly. Like, it's storming. Everybody's uncomfortable. They want to go home. There's nothing to do. Right. Um, and I don't think I said how old she was. She's only nine. So Lori's oh. eight. Uh, Denise was ten. And Michelle's only nine. They're all so small. They are. And I'm also going to throw it in there that when I was their age, I could not use punctuation nor grammar. And reading their letters, like, they're, and they're all so smart. Like, they clearly are just way, way smarter than I am even now. Like, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So, it just, like, it's so sad because they're so smart. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, they were going places. They had things they wanted to do. Um, Exactly. She wanted, wanted, you know, her flowers taken care of. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so so bad. Yeah. It's, it's awful. I can't imagine. Like, this poor camp counselor. Like, these poor babes and these poor fams, families, like, seeing that as a camp counselor, like, you're like, oh, the worst thing I'll see is a broken bone. No. You never imagined that horrific, like, ever. Right. And, and this poor girl had been up throughout the night. So, it's like, and I'm pretty sure she was the counselor that checked on the guttural moaning outside. Right. So, it's like, she knew something was up. But she probably couldn't see it. So now I'm sure it's, like, one of those things, like, oh, my gosh, like, if I would have said something or if I would have, like, called someone, maybe that it wouldn't have happened, you know? Right. (sighs) Like, maybe just, like, one change of events, you know? And I, you know, like, but the thing is, is, like, you can't think like that. Like, you can't have that mentality that, like, you know, if I had done this. Exactly. Like, the guilt will eat you alive otherwise. Yeah. So, Carla found the girls at 6 a.m. The local law enforcement arrived at 7.30 a.m. Yeah. That's a whole hour and a half later. Now, I I guess I didn't look in to see if Locust Grove has their own uh, police station. I would assume they do because it's a town. In the beginning, I had said Locust Grove is two miles from the camp it should not have taken that long at all and no it shouldn't have like there's just no excuse so um four hours later from the girls being found at 10 a.m camp Mm -hmm. scott finally evacuated they didn't tell their campers why they were going back home it was just like okay let's go guys like these people suck sorry but not sorry So Dr. Farmer, Charles Farmer, who was Lori Farmer's dad, received a call from the camp. Quote, it was from the executive director of the Girl Scouts. I found out later that we were the third people they called. First, they called their insurance company. Second, their attorney. Then they called the Farmer family. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, you mean to tell me you had to call an attorney? And the insurance company first? Yeah. They, I mean, you just gotta cross your T's and dot your eyes. No, these stupid fucks. I don't know what the hell was wrong with them. But yeah, they called their insurance company, their attorney, and then they called the families. Um, And also, they didn't tell the family anything. Dr. Farmer said, quote, nothing, nothing else. Not that there was violence involved or anything. They said there had been an accident, end quote. An accident. So you An mean to accident. tell me? Okay. So you mean to tell me these families get a call and they're they're like, oh, hey, there's been an accident, and they find out that their daughters have been murdered. Yep. What the so, fuck? So yeah. So they found the Carla at six a.m. Found Denise Milner on top of the sleeping bags. At this point, they didn't know where the other two girls were. They didn't know where Lori and. Michelle were at. They thought they were just missing. They're searching for these girls. When law enforcement <sighs> got there, My they God. discovered 
the two bo- the two other bodies because they were covered by the sleeping bags. They had been found a short distance away, but were not initially discovered with Denise. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so they just thought they were missing. Like, they thought Milner was, or Denise was the only one, unfortunately, right. murdered. Yeah. Um, at the crime scene, the investigators had determined that the attack had taken place inside the girl's tent, which was tent seven. Mm-hmm. The investigators believed that one or more people entered through the back of the tent um striking Lori and michelle on their heads oh no which i think is interesting because why were Lori and michelle struck and denise not yeah that's true and also since denise was um she was away from them right why was denise singled out from the three girls right so that seems a little sus go into more yeah Michelle and Lori were killed inside the tent. They'd been struck by a heavy blunt object in the back of their heads while they slept. Denise might have been led out of the tent. She was... Trigger warning. She was raped, and then she was killed. When she was found, her face had been beaten in with such force that the object had been left behind its shape. <sighs> she had died on the trail, unfortunately. Her cause of death was strangulation, not blunt force trauma. Okay. Yeah. So, so she was strangled to death, and, and then I, she and then she was. I'm not beaten. sure if she was beaten before she died because I know some. This is awful, but I know sometimes like that doesn't always kill someone, or right. if yeah. they strangled her and then were just so pissed that they beat her face. Yeah, because if that's, if that's like, after, that's just, like, rage. Right, that's just, like, Over a rage what? kill. Like, this, to me, it sounds like a pretty personal kill. You yeah. Know? Like, this just seems personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was an autopsy. At the autopsy, they had revealed that there were two types of knots that were used in the rope to tie the girls up and the head wounds on two of the victims indicated two different blunt instruments. So like two different people were probably involved or this person has no consistency whatsoever. Oh, so yeah. And that would, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, considering like the moaning Mm -hmm. that was at the beginning. And I, I asked you like, I was like, kind of like what the times were and yeah since since it was two different objects that would make sense that it was two people or like multiple people not necessarily two but exactly yeah so Denise was found nude from the waist down her pajama top had been pulled up underneath her arms her hands had been tied behind her back with duct tape and then the beating to her face unfortunately Around her neck, there was a cord and an elastic bandage that was visible. There was a round cylinder-shaped object about four inches long made of terry cloth that was attached to the cord. Uh. The elastic bandage had been used as a blindfold. <sighs> that just, like, I can't, I cannot not see things. So, like, the fact that they blindfolded her. Mm-hmm. makes me want to throw up right Every yeah whenever it makes me want to throw up but like the blindfold just like adds to the fear that they put on this little tiny baby right it's like whenever you're a kid like you want to like look at the shot like i know i always did like i always wanted to like look whenever i was getting a shot or something or like my blood drawn because right. you know like you're you're scared of the pain you know like, exactly yeah so the terry cloth that they had found was used as a gag Michelle and Lori were both bound into, like, a tight, compact fetal position, which I think is very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so, back to the crime scene. There was blood everywhere. It was pooled on the pillows, on the cots, and on the floor. On June 14th, 
the wooden floor from their tent was airlifted to a crime lab and evidence showed that there was blood all over the floor that that looked like it had been wiped up using towels and mattress covers what the which fuck? i think is strange that is very strange um there were footprints found in the blood that indicated a tennis shoe with another different print that was found outside the tent which invest- investigators looked into like looked at as it being more than one killer mhm to me I mean, I'm all for more than one killer. I definitely think, I think two or three people are probably involved, two for sure. But then I also, we'll get into it later, but, you know, with the two different prints, if it's two different, like, your right foot and your left foot, what if someone's just wearing two different shoes to fuck it up? Right, yeah. I mean, that's always a possibility. Yeah, because that's where my mind went, because I wasn't, like, totally sold on the two people committing this murder, these murders but so that's what i thought of yeah like i didn't think about that but i'm like yeah no somebody could totally do that like right yeah that that makes sense especially if someone's like living in the woods and they just they get what they get you know they can't go into town and buy stuff right Yeah. yeah like if any anyone like any vagrant or anything like anybody's living by exactly yeah yeah Yeah. okay all right continue so michelle and Lori's uh sleeping bags contained bloody bed sheets that had been used by the killer slash killers to wipe down the blood that was found on the wooden floor it also was also found was a roll of black duct tape and a flashlight that the murderer had discarded so the flashlight that probably got shined into, I think it was tent six at, mm-hmm. yeah, tent six, I believe, was the one with the flashlight. Yeah. Right. Now, Jack Schroff, he was an owner of a farm that was about a mile west of Camp Scott. His house had been broken into and some things were stolen, oh. such as a sash cord, a roll of duct tape. Three <gasps> bottles of beer and three identical crowbars. What? Three. Oh my god! Count them three. Three. That's what I was just thinking. Crowbars. That I was like, "What the fuck?" I was like, "It's." Have you noticed? It's all in three consecutive three. Everything about this is three. Yep. The girls. There's three girls. Okay. Who? Who? Bitch. I just got a motherfucking theory. Okay. Oh. What? 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 Okay. So. This nasty little motherfucker went into into tent six, okay? There were supposed to be four girls in tent seven. There was supposed to be a fourth girl with Lori, Denise, and Michelle. But because of a mess up in, like, the paperwork or something, that fourth girl got put into a different tent for that night. Only that night. For the rest of the week, she was supposed to be back in tent seven. Oh, So instead of being four girls there was only three girls in that tent i am so so there's three bottles of beer taken three crowbars taken and three little girls in that tent my mind can't wrap around this holy fuck i think the suspect has to have some type of weird like three like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would have been yeah. even weirder if they would have went to tent three, but still, like, the fact well, that they went to the tent with three girls, because I'm pretty sure that was the only tent with three girls. I don't know for sure, but I mean, it yeah. was the one farthest away from the counselors and stuff. And too, you know, but. okay, so I just had a thought. They went to tent six first. And it's divisible because... by three. Exactly. That's where they went first. It's divisible by three, but they saw there wasn't three girls in there so they went to the seventh one instead i think we have a whole theory we have a theory here people listening yeah theory theory. pretty sure big old theory yep we'll get into more suspects but i i'll keep my thoughts to myself until i go into them okay because i really i don't know this is an unsolved case by the way unsolved no one knows what the fuck (laughs) yeah terrible bitch what um 
Yeah, sorry. Um, so outside of Shroff's door, there was a jungle-styled boot print that matched the boot print that was near the crime scene. Also, I forgot to mention that the beer bottles that were taken from Shroff's farm were found empty at the campground. Mm, yeah. So yeah, there's that. And then the same style, um, jungle-style boot print was found at his place and at the crime scene. So someone had clearly been from his house and used his stuff to kill these girls. Right, yeah. June 15th, it, um, it was announced that they were going to bring in some highly trained tracking dogs. They were coming in from Pennsylvania, which is, I think, pretty, like, in, like not cool, but I think it's, like, more out there for, like, the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the press nicknamed these dogs the Wonder Dogs. The Wonder Dogs. I like it. Right? Uh, the Wonder Dogs on June 16th had arrived from Pennsylvania, and it was determined that the killer or killers had passed right past the counselor's tent. Uh, uh, yeah. They just walked right past. Like, uh, kept going. So, and this is going to be important, so keep these little, this little fact in mind for later when we talk about suspects, there okay. were eyeglasses and an eyeglasses case that was found, like in the woods, I believe. Um, the the eyeglasses and the case had belonged to. I saw it in, I saw in one source that one had belonged to a camper and the other had belonged to the counselor. I saw in one source that they both belonged to a counselor that was and that she had it in her purse. So I'm really not sure, like which way it went but either way this nasty little motherfucker went into someone's tent and took their eyeglasses and their case and it was it was a counselor in the kiowa unit so it was that same unit now there was a rumor that the wonder dogs were cursed by a local cherokee medicine man that they that they would die soon (gasps) Uh, yeah so this rumor happened on june 16th on june 18th one of the dogs his name was butts with a Z. Butts! Butts? Yeah. I don't know why. I just oh. I think that's so cute. Butts. That is. That's um, adorable. Yeah. So, unfortunately, little Butts, he died due to a heart failure resulting from the heat. Oh, not Butts. Yeah. So then on June 20th, one of the two living wonder dogs, Harris, I believe is how you say it. It's H-A-R-R-A-S. So I think it's Harris. Yeah, it's um, H-A-R-R-A-S. Yeah, it is Harris. Okay, so Harris, with no explanation whatsoever, went running into heavy traffic and was struck and killed by a car. <gasps> what the fuck? Dude! Yeah. So there was only one dog left out of these three dogs that came to help with the search. Did it survive? No, no. <gasps> Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. So the local medicine that's so man. wild. The local medicine man rumor. And then they died. Yeah, so, that's really wild. Which keep that in mind as we go on. The local okay. Cherokee medicine man. This is all like so fucking weird. So yeah. um there was another uh uh footprint that was found on the blood soaked floor. And it was a boot print size 10. So that was the jungle style boot print that I had talked right. about. It was a size 10. And the tennis shoe that they saw was a size 7. So there's quite a size difference. 10 days after the girls were discovered, um, there was a number of items that connected the killings um, to a criminal. And this... The evidence that was discovered had been found in a cave about three miles from Camp Scott. In the cave, the police found photographs, and they also found a roll of tape and a pair of sunglasses in a vinyl case that had been taken from a counselor at Camp Scott. Oh, that's... Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. So earlier I had said the eyeglasses and the eyeglasses case that had been taken from a counselor or whatever, 
the mm-hmm. eyeglasses and the eyeglasses case, I just want to correct myself, those were taken from a camper in the Kiowa unit. Okay. Yes, I got myself confused. The vinyl sunglasses case, or the sunglasses in the vinyl case, had been taken from the counselor at Camp Scott. Okay. So, the, still, two things of eyeglasses, two forms of eyeglasses were taken from this place. Right. Now, um, there's this, this man. Okay. He's a real interesting man. Mm. His name is Jean, I believe it's Leroy Hart or Leroy, but I think it's Le- Leroy. I don't really know. I, I'm not sure. I don't really care, to be honest. Right. He's a piece of shit. So, uh, some fun facts about him. He kidnapped two pregnant women. This is why he was in prison. Oh. Um, yes. What? So, so yeah. Let's talk about him for a second. So, um, June of 1966, Hart didn't go into work in Tulsa. He worked at Flint Steel. Don't know what that is. Don't care. Um, he decided to abduct two pregnant women from the parking lot of a Tulsa nightclub. He drove them to Mays County, took them deep into the woods where he brutally, brutally raped and sodomized both of them. Um, during this ordeal, Hart forced one of them to ride in the trunk of the car. Okay, these are pregnant women. Like, there's yeah. a, room, a lot of room in the back. But, so yeah, he would, like, either make one or both of them ride in the trunk. Both of these women wore eyeglasses. Okay. The connection of the eyeglasses. We're seeing mm-hmm. it. See, I, it seems like there's a lot of patterns. Yeah. So, when one of the women would be riding in the car with him, he would try on their glasses to see if the prescription was right for him. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, So he was caught, and he later pled guilty to rape and kidnapping, and he also intended for these two women to die. So a few months after Hart got released from prison on rape and kidnapping charges, okay, months for rape and kidnapping. What the fuck? Okay. Um, So Hart had had a really great career, actually, as, you know, just the common burglar. Um, Hart had attempted a home robbery of a woman in Tulsa, um, and he was eventually convicted on four counts of burglary, and all four of his burglaries, it's a really hard word to pronounce for some reason, were carried out while the homeowners were all home and were all sleeping. (gasps) Yes. So, an OSBI agent- Exactly. An OSBI agent said that it sounds more like the MO of a rapist than a burglar. A mm-hmm. yeah, burglar. To be breaking into houses when they were asleep and at home. Right. So yeah, that's Gene Leroy Leroy Hart. However the fuck you say that his name. Whatever. So anyway. Um, they also figured out that Hart had developed these photographs that were found in the cave. So Wait. That's... He developed them? Yes, he developed them. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the photos were of, but I know that um, he developed them. Mm. That's not looking too good there. No. No, it's not. So, um... The police also found pages from the Tulsa newspaper, and a section of it was discovered stuffed inside the flashlight that they had found near the bodies of the girls. So, like, um, he, like, took this newspaper apart and mm-hmm. shoved it in by the light bulb to, like, dull the brightness. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, so this yeah to me we'll get into it later because I, I don't know 
So the okay. physical evidence that was left behind at the crime scene and evidence recovered during the autopsy suggests that there were two offenders. Um, mm-hmm. that I don't think the autopsies are open because they are children. So, right, yeah, I wasn't able to find their autopsies. So the nature of the crime scene was a complete mixture. Like there was no one. It didn't seem like there was like one distinct way they were going about committing these murders. Like it was just mayhem. Right. Um, and all of the equipment that they needed for this, they had brought along. But there were no... They didn't care about concealing it. They didn't hide it. They didn't do nothing. They brought it, but they didn't get rid of it. And I think it would be because it would lead detectives back to Shroff. Because oh. of all of his stuff that was stolen. So anyone that looks into it is going to be like, oh, well, that's Shroff's stuff. So obviously he's the murderer. So I don't mm-hmm. think they really cared about it. Right, yeah. So it's... This crime probably... It would have taken months of planning or even years. Mm -hmm. And it also, I mean, you'd have to be pretty good friends with someone to do this stuff. Um, So because of the remoteness of the crime scene, the offenders, they would have had to have known the area really well. And they were probably either hunters or they had just lived there for a long time. It is thought that only one of the girls were an intended target because the other two obviously were, like, killed right away. Mm -hmm. Um, It's thought that they were murdered because they would have been able to identify who did this. Yeah, and and we mentioned that earlier, didn't we? I think so. And one or both of them probably had a history of sexual assault and possibly had a history of sexual assault with children. Um, It is also thought that it wasn't the first murder. The level of violence indicates that these offenders were not new and had probably been involved in some type of violent crime previous to this. However, the crime scene itself was so sloppy and excessively violent that it could have been their first murder. Um, They think it could go either way. The girls... could have been led out of the tent or tied up and dragged out of the tent and killed in another location they could have been um like someone could have done something way different instead they did it in the tent yeah so um they could have been killed somewhere else that would have been more difficult for them to be found or heard or anything like that but instead the victims were just murdered inside their tent um they left behind shoe prints the blood the victims were all young girls that were surprised in their tent late at night while they were probably sleeping. Then they were beaten and unfortunately raped. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot. And there's a lot that there's a lot that just has no answers. And yeah, I, I personally, I think Jean, we're going to have to do two parts. And I think I'm going to wrap up the first part because I feel like this has been heavy and it's going to be, you know. It's um, been dark. It's been dark. It's been real um, dark. So, I mean, I see why Gene Leroy, I, whatever the fuck his name is, I see why Hart would be a good suspect. And mm-hmm. I see the eyeglass connection. I see the burglary connection. Like, I could definitely see him being there. I do oh, think yeah. there's another person involved. But... I feel like it was personal or like unless unless Hart was in the woods saw Denise and was like that that's who I'm gonna murder you know what I mean like and then watched her I do think it's weird that it was three beer bottles three crowbars Mm -hmm. and then the three girls I do find that weird I think there's like a thing with the threes there isn't there there's also that note too right that was left yeah probably yeah, back in april yeah because that note didn't it say i'm gonna kill three girls in tent one yes i i don't know if it said like tent one yeah we're um, on a we are on a mission to kill three girls and okay yeah so and i also find it interesting that it was um and it says we uh, yeah, exactly. 
And it's also at 3 a.m. when the girls in the Cherokee and the Quapa camps also heard screams at 3 a.m. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, that's... And I mean, you know, like, obviously, this is just a theory. But right, right. Like, we're not saying anything. Like, we're just like saying theories. Right. But, But, you know, following with the theme, it sounds like, you know, there would have been a third killer or like a third person involved. Right. And now, and, you know, these are definitely things to think about for sure. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, the good news is though that Jean Leroy Hart did die June fourth of nineteen seventy nine. He suffered from a massive heart attack. Okay, so yeah, he's he's dead and gone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about him kidnapping pregnant women or murdering yep. little girls. Whether he did or not, we don't know if he was the murderer of the girls. But I mean there's a lot of connections between him kidnapping the pregnant women and this but then there's also just i feel like it has to be personal like to denise or at least like someone saw her and was like okay like people fixate on someone you know Mm -hmm. and i feel like that maybe could have been what happened right and yeah so i guess we'll cover this in part two yeah Um, we will dig deeper into the suspects and we'll talk more about heart and we'll talk more about the investigation because the investigation is pretty fucking sloppy and i you know yeah we'll get into it in part two take it away penny (laughs) (laughs) do you watch spongebob i don't but i knew that that's where it was from (laughs) okay i guess i should have maybe asked before I just see all that. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Stay tuned next week for our next episode. And until then, follow us on Instagram at the Pretty Dead Podcast. Stay spooky, sparkly, and ominous.